showing that table with flat. Okay. You know Good morning. What a start to the service that was. Hey, wasn't that just amazing? I really feel sorry for everybody that's gone away on holiday and has missed out this morning. What a fantastic start. Do you know, there is nothing, nothing better than being in God's presence. There's nothing better than worshiping Him. Am I right? Oh, good. I'm glad I'm talking to the right people. No, seriously, I, I just... I felt like I was in heaven there. That was just that was just brilliant. And it's good because it's gonna set me up for what we're talking about today as well. Yeah, we're here. The whole reason we're here, the whole reason we exist, the whole reason ever it's worship. First and foremost, above everything else, before anything else, we're made to worship. We find our purpose, we find our true selves in worship. Everywhere else is false. It's in worship. It's in worship that we find out who we are, that we know who we are. We know who God is, and we give Him all the glory for who He is. And it's just a great place to start. Do you know what? I know we should start every day like that. I know we should. But I'm going to try again tomorrow. I'm going to try again. That was, that was just fantastic. Do you know, I, I noticed what Stephen picked up on as well, the, <laughs> the shoes were off as well. I thought, do you know, that there's something going on here. I know that when God looked down on our youth band today, I know he was smiling. I know he was smiling. I was smiling watching them. I, I was proud of them, but imagine, imagine, imagine I was one of the, my kids aren't that old yet. Imagine I was one of their dads though. How proud would I be? Why would I be that proud? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Applaud them. Because they're doing what God has made them to do. And they're doing it well. And they're enjoying it. And they're giving glory to God. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Let's get to the point of why I'm here this morning. <sighs> Last month, I spoke about joy. I really enjoyed speaking about joy. So much so that I'm still speaking about joy. So just so we're clear, today's title is Joy, part two. Thing is though, I didn't really have any intention of doing a series here. The last time when I was up here, about a month ago, we looked at three joy stealers. I'm not gonna embarrass and say, does anyone remember what they are? Of course you don't, but I'll, I'll remind you. Unsatisfied expectations, unresolved conflict, unconfessed sins. These are the things that rob us of our joy. Then we looked at three joy builders. Recognize God as joyful was the first one. Release your problems to Jesus was the second. Remain in Him was the third. You know, remain in Him. The, the verse from John 15, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love just as you've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It is God's will that we have joy. So I finished last time by saying pick one of these joy builders as a, an area to work on. Select an area that you could improve and work on your joy. 
Did anybody do that? Uh -huh. I fully intended to do it as well. <laughs> the thing is, I think God had decided to pick one for me. And in the last few weeks, he's going to send me back to school. I'll tell you about this. After, <laughs> you'll not believe this. Anyway, after a break of about 20 years, I recently started playing football again. And I'm finding that I really enjoy it. Now, I'm no stranger to age group football. Uh, from the age of eight, I played, and I played every single season, and at every age group, right up until under-18s. But I've got to be honest, this is the first time I've ever played in a team which has a minimum age limit. <laughs> Seriously, it does. For anyone wondering, it's the age that life begins at. Okay. Anyway, I was talking to one of my teammates who had a hip replaced a couple of years ago. <laughs> he did. And he said something. He said something that struck me, though. He said, he said this, and I remember it. He said, he says, it doesn't matter how old you get. There's still no feeling like lashing the ball into the net. Nothing beats it. And I kind of smiled and I nodded because... I can vaguely remember what that felt like. <laughs> but the following Saturday, I was down at Petrivi playing fields. Yeah, I'm down there most Saturdays now watching my boys playing. I've done this dozens of times before, but this week it just felt a little bit different. Anybody know that, you know that feeling where you think you're just aware that God's with you, that he's trying to say something to you, that he's trying to get your attention on something? but you haven't quite got it yet. And I realized something. There is a greater feeling than lashing the ball into the net. It's watching your boys lash the ball into the net. That's way better. And that feels fantastic. I'm not sure entirely why, but it just feels like the joy is bigger. Uh, maybe it's because it's a shared joy, or maybe it's because of the way that you feel about your children, or because you love them, and you love to see them do well, and you love to see them enjoying doing well. Their success somehow just feels that little bit better than your own. Whatever it is, anyway, I remember at the time I felt quite deeply moved by the experience, which I really wasn't expecting on a Saturday morning. But so I was so moved by it that I was still thinking about it when I was here at church on the Sunday. It was still kind of in the background, bothering me. And it stayed with me when I went home and I was cutting the grass. So obviously I was disturbed. I hate gardening. But it stayed with me that whole afternoon and right through into the evening. And eventually, about nine o'clock, I remember I was sitting in the living room, and it hit me. And it hit me like a truck. It was, a, it was like... God has just spoken to me. It kind of took my breath away. And I was a little bit shaken. I felt a bit emotional, almost close to tears. And it was just a simple, simple thought came into my head. And it was a quote, a quote that I'd first heard years ago, but I'd always liked it. And it was accompanied, this thought was accompanied by a kind of rush of joy. And my heart felt almost like it would burst. And it was like I had a, an, an instant sort of download of 
of a whole lot of knowledge and a whole lot of feeling and a whole lot of truth and insight all simultaneously. It just kind of hit me. And I kind of thought, is this what knowing the truth and the truth setting you free feels like? I just felt this incredible surge almost. But the thought, the thought was very simple. Can I have the next slide on, please? It's very, very simple. And it was just a quote that I'd heard years ago that came back to me. Eric Liddell, the Scottish runner that was featured in Chariots of Fire, he said this, he said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh, I've always loved that quote. I kind of grew up with it. My dad used to be a runner when he was younger, and Liddell was his hero as a boy. So that one's always been in there. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. The thought, the thought that one day I could bring a smile to God's face has always been quite exhilarating, certainly for me. I recently spoke a couple of months ago, maybe, I mentioned the, the Greater Westminster Catechism. What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. It's great, isn't it? It's great the notion that we're supposed to and we're capable of simply enjoying and fully enjoying God forever. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. But here's the thought. God enjoys us, his children. We bring him pleasure. That was my joy builder homework done right there to recognize God is joyful. The God of Zephaniah 3.17 who rejoices over us with singing. Okay. Okay. Last week, last week, Alan reminded us brilliantly that we are children of God. I am a child of God. We said it out loud. I'm a child of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 8, uh, sorry, 5, 8 to 10, he says this, he says, live as children of light, and then it goes on to say, and find out what pleases the Lord. Rick Warren, who I've read a bit on this week as well, he says, the smile of God is the goal of your life. So what makes God smile? Warren wrote quite an interesting piece on this very subject. The story of Noah, starting in Genesis, is the story of a man who pleased God. And I'm kind of glad of that for a couple of reasons. The first one is that I genuinely find it easier to learn lessons from studying the life of someone else rather than having to learn the hard way through my own life. So I like that. I always like studying and reading and learning lessons from the life of somebody else. So I'm glad he pleased God and I can read about it. I'm also glad that he brought a smile to God's face because if he hadn't made God smile, we wouldn't have been here to talk about it. Think about that. But he was a man that found favor in the eyes of God. So, if we can get the next slide up, please. 
the first lesson that we can take from the life of Noah. Noah loved God. Genesis tells us that he enjoyed close fellowship with him consistently for his entire life. Genesis is describing a relationship. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Hosea, we find out what God is looking for. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. It's amazing, really. The thing that God wants from us most is close relationship, fellowship. He made you. He loves you. He wants you to love Him in return. That's what it all comes down to. Learning to love God and be loved by Him. Simply that is the greatest objective of our lives. Nothing else comes close. When Jesus was asked what is the most important thing in Matthew 22, he replied, you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God. God smiles when we love Him. God smiles when we trust Him. The second way that Noah, and you can read this, go back to Genesis, take it from chapter 6, read it through the next four or five chapters, read it through, but God smiles, God is pleased when we trust Him. The second way that Noah pleased God was that he trusted Him, even when it appeared to make no sense to do so. I like the way it's put, it's put like this in the message in Hebrews 11. It says this, By faith Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted upon what he was told. The result, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. So it was his faith that was trusting in God please God, drew them into close relationship. Now, there was a significant social cost, probably. There was a significant cost generally with what Noah had been asked to do. I mean, it made no sense to, to trust God with us, logically thinking. He would have said, you know, there was logistical problems, obviously. That how would he source the raw materials to do what he was asked to do? Why would he embark on a lifetime construction project how would he round up all the animals? There, was a whole, there must have been hundreds of questions. And there was a social sort of side of it as well. Because he was quite publicly undertaking this job. I'm sure Noah's kids would have loved the fact that they were known as the sons of the nutter down the road who was building the massive boat in the front garden. They would have loved that. So there was, I'm sure there was a cost. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, in, in Town Hill, there was a chap that bought a surplus US military helicopter. You don't remember that? Nah, my dad does. It was across the road. But this guy bought a surplus US military helicopter and installed it in his front garden on a big concrete plinth. <laughs> it didn't go down too well with the neighbors. Now imagine if he'd start building an ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I don't know how much that is in cubits, but you get the picture, it's huge. So imagine, imagine what Noah was undertaking here. Incidentally, I'm not comparing Town Hill to an ancient Bronze Age civilization or neighborhood, just for the record. But my point is that Noah must have really trusted God and therefore really knowing him to embark 
on such a project. Psalm 147 says this, The Lord's delight is in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So let's think about it just for a moment. What areas in our lives do we need to just trust God more? Because trusting, trusting is really an act of worship. It recognizes God for who he is. And we worship then with our lives and not simply just our words. All parents are pleased when children trust their love and their wisdom. And our faith simply just makes God happy. In Hebrews 11:6, it tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Conversely then, with faith, we're pleasing God. We're making Him smile. God smiles when we obey Him. That's the third one. One of the interesting points of the story of Noah is that God gave him very exact instructions on how to build the boat. It was very precise, and it was very precisely recorded in Genesis as well. And Noah obeyed the instructions completely and exactly. You could say that he did so wholeheartedly. And this pleased God. Now, I'm sure most of us would have had a few questions or in our minds raised a few objections. Did I really hear from God. We would uh, maybe run around and try to seek out wise counsel from other skeptics. But obeying God wholeheartedly, as Noah did, means without reservation or hesitation. You don't procrastinate and say clever sounding religious things like, mm, I'm going to have to go and pray about it. Any parent who has ever heard the phrase, in a minute, emerged from behind an iPad, knows exactly that delayed obedience is actually disobedience. I'm sure we've all felt that one. I like this wee quote from Rick Warren. It's a good one. I'll share it with you. God doesn't owe you an explanation or a reason for everything. Understanding can wait, but obedience can't. Instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussion. In fact, you'll never understand some commands until you obey them first. Obedience unlocks understanding. Interesting one, isn't it? Kind of stuck with me, that one. Obedience first, then understanding can follow. Partial obedience is no use either, and yet we often try and pick and choose. We'll disregard and make excuses for the difficult ones, and we kind of congratulate ourselves when we obey the easier ones. You know, I'll, I'll attend church every week. I'll not tithe. I'll, um, I'll read my, my Bible every morning, but I'm not going to forgive that person that's really upset me. You know, it's that sort of thing. Partial obedience, like delayed obedience, is disobedience too, let's be honest. So wholehearted obedience, done quickly and joyfully and with enthusiasm, is what makes God smile. David understood this in Psalm 119. It says this, just tell me, this is, the, this is the message version, I quite like this version of it, just tell me what to do and I will do it, Lord. As long as I live, I will wholeheartedly obey. Make me walk along the right paths, for I know how delightful they really are. Jesus put it a bit more simply in John 14, if you love me, obey my commands. Okay, 
Number four, God smiles when we praise and thank Him. There are not many things which feel better than receiving genuine praise or thanks or appreciation from someone else. God loves it too. We're only made in His image after all. It pleases Him when we express our adoration and gratitude to Him. It gives Him joy. This was another way that Noah pleased God. The first thing Noah did after the flood was he built an altar and he gave thanks. Now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we no longer require animal sacrifice. Churches would look quite different if we did. Can you imagine the state of the carpets on Monday morning? But we don't need that anymore. But what we are, what we are told to do in Hebrews is offer a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We praise God for who He is. We thank God for what He has done. Now, have you ever noticed something? When, when we make God smile and offer praise and thanksgiving to Him, our own hearts are filled with joy too. You ever noticed that? Think about it. If someone cooks you a great meal and you enjoy the meal, they get enjoyment from watching you enjoy the meal and from hearing you thank them and praise their cooking skills. You then feel good because you know that you've made them happy and they feel good hearing that they've made you happy. Everybody wins. Worship works both ways a bit like that too sometimes. We enjoy what God has done for us and then we express that enjoyment to God in thanksgiving and in praise. It brings Him joy, which in turn increases our joy. So really what I'm saying is, if we want to overflow in joy in our lives, let's overflow in thanks. Yeah? And I'm not just talking about coming to church and saying some religious words of thanks. I'm talking about in our daily lives, thanking people for simple things like opening the door, for, for cooking your tea, for turning up on time to a meeting, whatever. Let's just be thankful people. And if we overflow in thanks, we'll begin to overflow in joy. Simple stuff. Psalm 68, I like this. It says this. Let them, let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Filled with joy. That's where we want to be. Okay, number five. Number five. <coughs> God smiles when we use our abilities. God told Noah to be fruitful, to increase in number, to fill the earth. He was telling Noah to go out and do what humans do, what he created them to do, to make love, to make babies, to make food, to make stuff, to plant and grow and enjoy it all. Sometimes we think that God is only pleased when we do spiritual stuff and that he's not concerned with the other parts of our lives. God enjoys every detail of our lives. Eating, 
sleeping, resting, working, playing included. Psalm 33 says this. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything that they do. The message puts it this way. From high in the skies, God looks around. He sees all Adam's brood. From where he sits, he overlooks us earth dwellers. He has shaped each person in turn. Now he watches everything we do. He is interested. He is interested in every aspect of our lives. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, Psalm 37 says. He delights in every detail of their lives. Every human activity, with the exception of sin, can be done for God's pleasure if you approach everything with an attitude of praise. Everything from washing the car to hitting targets at work to raising your family can be done to the glory of God and can bring God pleasure. Remember, glorifying God, living for God's pleasure is the highest purpose of our lives. I think what I was starting to grasp that Saturday morning watching the football is that like a proud parent, God especially enjoys watching you use the unique talents and abilities he's given you. God has gifted us all differently and it's for his enjoyment. We don't bring glory to God or a smile to his face by hiding our abilities or trying to be somebody else. We bring him enjoyment by being the people he created us to be. Yeah. So let's view our lives from his perspective and with a purpose to honor and praise him in all that we do and not to be scared to become the very best version of ourselves that we can possibly be to his glory. That's what, that's what he's asking us. That's what he's calling us to do. I suppose what I'm doing is I'm coming back here to Eric Little's quote again. Maybe just put that slide, the next slide on. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This is a man who was used greatly by God. It touched many lives as a missionary in China. But later he went on to say about the running, the unspiritual part of his life. He said, to give up running would be to hold him in contempt. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, there are no unspiritual activities or abilities, only misused ones. Start using yours for God's pleasure. Parents do not require children to be perfect or even mature in order to enjoy them. They enjoy them at every stage of their development. In the same way, God doesn't wait for you or for me to reach maturity before he starts liking us. He loves you and he enjoys you at every stage of your spiritual development. What God is most concerned about is our attitude, the attitude of our hearts, and is pleasing Him our deepest desire. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, as what he said, he said, so our aim is to please Him always in everything we do, whether we are here in this body or away from this body and with Him in heaven. If we can just make the switch and live in the light of heaven, our focus will change from what am I getting out of life as to what is God getting out of my life? Am I bringing Him joy? God is looking most of all for relationship with us. He wants us to know Him, to enjoy Him forever. He loves to enjoy us. It means so much to Him that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our many sins to make this closeness possible again. So let's make it our goal today to make it easy for Him to enjoy us. Let's approach every aspect of our lives with thanksgiving and praise and live for His glory using all of our abilities and energies to make His pleasure our main purpose. Joy, part two, is the joy of God shared with us when we live our lives for Him. Amen. And thanks for listening. Could the band please come up? <laughs>